Welcome to the teaching ministry of Paseo del Rey Church in Chula Vista, California. Two months ago, I was in Colorado for some meetings, and one of our speakers was a man named Jim Downing. Uh, he's 101. <laughs> he is the oldest, uh, he thinks, the su- survivor of the attack on Pearl Harbor, um, and he's the oldest navigator. <laughs> and he was just reviewing and reminding us of th- some things about what the navigators stand for. And one of the things he said really stuck with me. Uh, he said that we preach a gospel of grace, but we usually live a gospel of good works and, uh, you know, a, a of earning our relationship with God. And he said that's especially true in the area of forgiveness. That he said God's forgiveness is immediate, it's future-oriented, it restores us to full relationship with God, and it enables us to get back in the job of ministering to others. And I pondered on that. I thought, you know, He said, we we tend to mope around because we know that we've sinned and we try to do some good works to make up for it. We try to say, you know, we've got to do these things to be better. We need to rebalance the scales so that we're, you know. And and he said, really, that often is a tool of Satan to keep us from living an effective Christian life. Well, as I was pondering that, I've been reading the life of David. And I like to read the Bible through every year. I've tried to do that for most of the last 40 years. And as I was reading the life of David, you know, he went through all his successes of his killing Goliath, his being selected as king, his uh, having mercy on Saul and not killing him twice, and then the whole process of becoming king and his victories, and then the great promises given to David in 2 Samuel 7, that his descendants, his sons would rule on the throne of Israel forever. And... uh, then the promise that his son would build the temple that he wanted to build. And, you know, um, then as you get to chapter 11, I always get a little depressed. <laughs> Anybody familiar with the story? I think you should be. Uh, let's look at, you know, I'd open the Bibles. <laughs> Gary said you do that here. <laughs> Second Samuel 11.1 1 starts with a phrase, a statement, In the spring, when kings go off to war, David sent Joab and the army, and he stayed home. And one evening, as he was walking around the palace, he saw a woman who was bathing, and she was beautiful. So he sent and inquired about her, and he found out that she was the wife of one of his friends, one of his mighty men. And besides that, It was the wife of Uriah the Hittite, a foreigner who had come to join in with the people of God. And in spite of the fact that David already had, I think at this point, about six wives, he sent for her, slept with her, and then she sent a message back a couple of weeks, I don't know, a little bit later, and said, I'm pregnant. Now, those words, you know, can be words of great joy. But for David... (laughs) They were a disaster. He was caught. 
So you know the story. David decided, what do I do about this? The first thing he did was send for Uriah and brought him back from the front with the uh, purpose of saying how things going in the battle. And then he gave him a gift, sent a gift to his house, and sent him home. Well, Uriah didn't go home. Uriah slept with the king's servants in the kitchen. (laughs) Slept on the floor, I think it says. So David said, what's the deal? Well, look in chapter 11, verse 11. And I've got to get the glasses out, sorry. Uriah said to David, The ark and Israel and Judah are staying in tents, and my commander Joab and my lord's men are camped in the open country. How could I go to my house and eat and drink and make love to my wife? As surely as you live, I will not do such a thing. Well, David tried again. Got him drunk. He still wouldn't go. So David sent a note by Uriah back to Joab to say, put him in the front lines in the most dangerous spot. And maybe he would be killed by the Ammonites. And that plan worked. Uriah was killed. So after Bathsheba had mourned a little while, David took her to be his wife, and a son was born. But the last verse, the last phrase of chapter 11 is, the thing that David had done displeased the Lord. So God sent Nathan, the prophet, to David with the unenviable task of confronting him with his sin. Now David had already had one guy killed over this to cover it up. So Nathan's got to go confront him. That was God's mission for him. And so Nathan came up with a strategy. He told a sheep story. He told essentially a parable. He told about a a man who was uh, had raised a young lamb with his children. It was a household pet. You know, it was one that his children played with. And he had a rich neighbor. And the rich neighbor had lots of sheep, lot, you know, lots of cattle. And he had a visitor come. And the rich neighbor, instead of taking one of his own sheep, he took this pet lamb of the poor neighbor and had it killed and served it to his traveler. Well, that really na- made David angry. You know, he was a shepherd. <laughs> he cared about sheep. And he said, the man who did that ought to die. Nathan said, that would be you. (laughs) He said, you took the wife of Uriah, the Hittite, you had him killed with the sword of the Ammonites, and he went on to say, judgment. And I've always, like I said, hit this point a little depressed (laughs) because of here David, and from then on, you know, as Joab, I'm sorry, as Nathan the prophet said, there were going to be consequences in the family. Well, it seemed like about as soon as Nathan took a breath, <laughs> you get verse 13. Chapter 12, verse 13. David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan replied, The Lord has taken away your sin. You are not going to die. Well, I really, I, I've seen that before, <laughs> but I didn't recognize that as the great grace that it was. <laughs> And, um, you know, we're, um, I'm reading the Chronological Bible this year, and it tries to match up the Psalms with the events in David's life. 
And so uh, as we hit that point, you know, Nathan had a little help when he came to confront David. David describes that in uh, Psalm 32. Sorry. Verses 3 and 4, he says, When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy on me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. Or in chapter 6, Psalm 6, verse 6, he says, I am worn out from my groaning. All night long I flood my bed with weeping and drench my couch with tears because of my sin. So the Spirit of God was already at work in David's life. And when David was confronted by Nathan, I think there was somewhat relief when he said, I've sinned against the Lord. And Nathan's immediate response was, God has taken away your sin. He goes on to say that sin has consequences. It always has consequences. Even with God's forgiveness, there's still consequences. And as you read in the story in 2 Samuel 12, Nathan goes on to say, but because you're doing this has showed utter contempt for God. One statement says that enemies of God rejoice. Um, and the, the ch- he says, the child that was born to you will die. Well, so the Lord struck the child, it says. And David pleaded and fasted and wept for a week, and then the child died. And, you know, chapter 13 goes on, but like I said, I've always tended to focus on the consequences of David's sin. But I had not seen in all those years of reading it how much grace was poured out on David in this forgiveness by God. Uh, Next, I just want to look together at um, Psalm 51. So if you'll keep your finger in 2 Samuel 12, because we'll be back here. But uh, Psalm 51, it says in the title to the psalm, a psalm of David, when the prophet Nathan came to him after David had committed adultery with Bathsheba. In the first few verses, he said, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your great compassion. Blot out my transgressions, wash away all my iniquity, cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions. My sin is always before me. Against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you're right in your verdict and justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth and sinful from the time my mother conceived me. There's an interesting thing to me in the Psalms that up until this point, most of the Psalms proclaim David's innocence, David's righteousness. Do these things before me because I'm righteous. From this point on, David's Psalms begin to recognize, they begin to acknowledge his sinfulness. It was a real change in uh, David's approach to God, this recognition that he was only forgiven by the grace of God. So a couple other things. He says, uh, you know, let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you crushed rejoice. He says that over and over again, that his bones ached from his sins. Hide your face from my sins. Blot out all my iniquity. Create in me a pure heart, O God. We sing that song often. And renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation 
and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. And then just down to uh, verse 16. You do not delight in sacrifice or I bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O Lord, you will not despise. David knew that he deserved death by God's law, both for adultery and for murder. And he said, the only thing I can offer, there's no sacrifice in the law that covers that. And he said, the only, off, the only thing I can offer to God is a broken spirit and a contrite heart. That is, a, a real sense of wrong and of pleading to God for forgiveness, for grace, for renewal of his spirit. Well, so let's head back to, I'm sorry, one more. That's Psalm 103. And you're familiar with this one. The first couple of verses say, Praise the Lord, O my soul, all my inmost being, praise his holy name. Pray the Lord, praise the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your sins, heals all your diseases, redeems your life from the pit, and crowns you with love and compassion, who satisfies your desires with good things, so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. And then he says in verse 8, The Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in love. He will not always accuse, nor will he harbor his anger forever. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far as he removed our transgression from us. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear us. Sorry, those who fear him. So David, in that psalm, recognized that God removes sin, as he says, how far? Far as from the the east is from the west. You know, and if you try to figure that out, if you're going east, when do you start going west? (laughs) They never meet. (laughs) Now, if you're going around the earth, and I've done that a little bit, <laughs> you get there, but yeah, as far as the east is from the west. Well, let's get back then to 2 Samuel and look at kind of the, the rest of the story. As he... I pulled my marker out, sorry. Well, after David recognized that the son was dead, he quit fasting, got up, ate a meal, and the servants were a little, you know, they were afraid. They thought, man, he was, he was this disrot when the son was dying. What's he going to be when he hears that he's died? And he, what David did was went and worshipped God. And then he went to his own house and they served him food and he ate. Then in verse 24, that's where I wanted to go next. David comforted his wife Bathsheba. He went to her and made love to her and they gave birth to a son and named him Solomon. And this is where the point I didn't catch before. It says the Lord loved him. 
Here's this second son by this process, you know, that was terrible. (laughs) You know, adultery and murder. And yet, it says this son God loved. And God sent Nathan the prophet to tell David that the Lord loved him and that they were supposed to name Jedidiah, which means loved of the Lord. So this son is now selected to be the next king, (laughs) the one who will build the temple, the one who's given great wisdom, and if you read Matthew, was included in the lineage of Jesus. Total, total grace. I wouldn't have done that if I were God. (laughs) I would have said, hey, this isn't right. (laughs) But God in his grace forgave David's sin, restored him to relationship with him, and continued to fulfill the promise that he'd given him even before the sin. Didn't take all those away because, and then said that he loved this son Solomon and sent Nathan to say that. I'm sure Nathan enjoyed that job a whole lot better than the job of confronting David with his sin. Well, verse 26. Meanwhile, it says... Joab was still fighting the Ammonites. Where was David supposed to be from 11.1? In battle with the Ammonites. In the spring when kings go off to war, David stayed home. He he listened to the jingle, you know, you deserve a break today. (laughs) And took it, you know. And had lots of consequences. Well, Joab sent back and said, I've taken the water supply. I'm about to take the city you know, muster the army and come because if I take the city, I'll name it after myself. Well, so David, it says, mustered the army, verse 29, went to Rabbah, attacked and captured it. And David took the crown from their king's head and placed it on his own head. It weighed a talent of gold. Now that's 60 to 70 pounds, I think, of gold. <laughs> and it says... Uh, And it was set set with precious stones, and he took a great quantity of plunder from the city. Well, again, my chronological Bible says that Psalm 21 relates to that. And so Psalm 21, starting at verse 1, says, The king rejoices in your strength, Lord. How great is the joy and the victories you give. You have granted him his heart's desire. You have not withheld the request of his lips. You came to him with rich blessings and placed the crown of pure gold on his head. He asked you for life and you gave it to him in the length of days. Through victories you give, his glory is great. You bestowed on him splendor and majesty. You've granted him unending blessings. <laughs> now, he'd missed out on that battle. I mean, he was supposed to be there. And God graciously allowed him even to have a part in the victory. And that crown, he wrote a psalm about it about that crown of gold. So, in 2 Samuel, again, I hope I didn't... I said, the, the grace that I saw this time, for the first time, is when David confessed his sin, God said, you won't die. Your sin is forgiven. Yes, the son is going to die, but God granted another son in his place. God allowed David to get involved in the victory and was crowned with a crown of gold. I think I read right over that. 
all those times I was reading it, all those references to the great grace of God in his forgiveness because David did what? Confessed his sin. If you remember Saul, David's predecessor, when he was confronted by Samuel about his sin, he gave excuses. He kind of said, well, yeah, yeah, I guess I did, but, you know, 1 John 1, 9 says, if we confess our sin, God is faithful and just and will forgive our sin and purify us from all unrighteousness. Immediately, restore us, purified from all unrighteousness. What does that mean? <laughs> that we're in right standing with God. So, my wife always says that a sermon, a message, a Bible study or whatever has to have a so what? <laughs> You know, an application. And so I just want to offer two possibilities. Uh, Jim Downing, as part of his talk, said that our, our daily devotional life, one of the purposes of it is to make sure that everything is right between us and God and that we're as close to God as we can be. You know, a few years ago, Bette Midler had a song, God is watching us from a distance. <laughs> and so many people want God that way, at a distance you know, not up close. But Asaph in Psalm 73, verse 28, said, the nearness of God is my good. Or James 4, 7, 8 says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. That God desires a close, intimate, and productive relationship with us so that we're both walking with God but also used by God. And all it takes is 1 John 1, 9 if we confess our sins and God is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. And then there's one more that I'd like to offer, and that's Matthew chapter 6, verses 14 and 15. Is that the one? 14 and 15. In Matthew 6, Jesus had just given the prayer that we've talked about, you know, we call the Lord's Prayer. But in verse 14, at the end of that, he says, I'm sorry, for if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. So I think that in this area of grace and forgiveness, we tend to treat forgiveness of others kind of the same way we tend to be. We've got to, we want them to earn it somehow. <laughs> and if we're like Ephesians 5.1, be imitators of God as dearly loved children, one of the areas is in the area of forgiveness. That, that we forgive like God forgives. That we don't hold it, we, we don't look for judgment to come. <laughs> we don't, you know, we leave that to God. Forgiveness allows reconciliation to begin. I don't know if any of you take Christianity today, but um, in the last magazine I read, there was an article about a woman whose sister was murdered by a young man, and her sister and her family. And she's now seeking his release from prison after he's been in, I think, 13 years. But... Um, because she's seen that he's changed. And she said she's forgiven him because 
She wants to be like God. <laughs> now, again, that's taking it to the extreme. Again, I don't know that I would do that. <laughs> but forgiveness means that I let go of the right to hold that against them and let God work. And so he says if we forgive others the way God forgives, he'll forgive us. I think an understanding of God's forgiveness, that restoration and grace and confidence that we can move in our relationship with God is something that really needs to be passed on to others. Well, that's my, my thought, my challenge for the day, that we recognize, live in, understand, and uh, walk with God closely only because of his great forgiveness, because it was bought for us by Jesus. 1 Corinthians 1.30 says that of him are you in Christ Jesus who has become for us our wisdom, our righteousness, our sanctification, and our redemption. He's done all that for us. We didn't earn it. We're challenged to pass that on. Live in that and pass it on to others. Well, I'd like to close with a prayer, but it's been a delight to be with you. See so many old friends and some new ones. We, uh, I just really appreciate the chance to be here. And we so appreciate your support for our ministry. And in all those ways of just being here for us. Let me pray. Father, thanks for this morning. Lord, thank you for your forgiveness. And I admit over and over again that I don't understand it. I don't really appreciate it as much as it, I, I ought to. But Lord, I pray that you would gra- help me to grasp it in new ways that each of us would live as lives as forgiven, that the past is taken care of because of what Jesus did for us. Thank you for your goodness, for your wonderful love for us. In Jesus' name, amen. And you're done. <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs>